Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Galatians, we're going to start in chapter 3 today. And uh, I'm going to do something a little bit out of the ordinary. We've been doing uh, Old and New Testament survey for uh, not quite a year. We finished up the Old Testament back right before Christmas. And uh, we have dealt with and dabbled with some truths in the books as we've gone through them. But the goal has really been to give a, um, a framework of each book, uh, kind of the historical setting, the context of the book, how the book is structured, who it was written to, who it was written by, uh, what were the circumstances behind the writings of them, uh, and to try to give a, a good working knowledge so that when we read these books, um, there are times that if we understand that and we understand the backgrounds of them, the historical settings and the context of them, it, the, the truth that's in them uh, becomes more apparent to us why, why they're doing it that way, why God chose to write those words to those people at that time. And it really helps us to have better understanding as we study it. So we've tried to keep it uh, at a high-level overview of just the structure of the book, uh, some of the key principles, key truths that are found in it, uh, a rough basic outline of each book, that sort of a thing, so that we can handle the Word of God well. Uh, we have a working knowledge of Scripture. And um, I'm going to depart a little bit from that. We did some of that last week in Galatians. And we're going to delve into a truth in Galatians today and spend a little more time uh, on a specific truth. Uh, Paul is... This particular book, uh, above all every other book of Scripture, uh, is the probably the the most distinguished book, the, probably the, the most complex book in dealing with the issue of law and grace and Christian liberty. And uh, it's probably probably as far as I know, uh, there's no book of Scripture that deals with the subject any more thoroughly than Paul does as he writes to the churches of Galatia. Um, and so we're going to take a look here in chapter number, we're going to start in verse number, or chapter number three. And um, Paul writes this letter to a group of churches in the, in the region of Galatia because there were some, uh, there were some legalistic uh, Judaizers of the day, the people that were Orthodox Jew and, and held to the Old Testament law, that were coming into the church and they were teaching erroneous doctrine. And that is uh, that they were to still be under Old Testament law, uh, that they were under the obligation of that. The, 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 Paul uses the word bondage of it. Um, and, and Paul refutes this, and, and he spends this, this letter writing to these churches because they were adding works to their faith. Uh, not just for, we ought to have, add works after we've had our faith, in order to live our life and pleasing to the Lord. But we do not add works to our faith for the purpose of being saved or trusting Christ as our Savior. And Paul refutes this in here. And uh, he looks at some things here. And we're going we're gonna to take a, a pretty close look. And I, I think we'll be able to get through it today. If not, we'll take part of next Sunday as well. Because there's uh, a lot of this about law and grace that I think a lot of people um, take to an extreme and end up a lot further away from what the Bible actually teaches on it than what the Bible does. And so uh, we're going to take a look at some of this. Let's start in verse number 1, chapter 3, and keep your Bibles handy because we're going to be digging pretty deep into the next three chapters here uh, throughout today and probably next Sunday. Paul begins this. He says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you, this only would I learn of you. In other words, he says, I'm going to ask you a question here. 
He says, this only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? That question is the single most important question of mankind. How do we get saved? There are two thought processes out there. One is by works and one is by faith. And they do not mix. In fact, as you see, we'll look at this. Paul says they're actually opposed one to the other. It's amazing that you have to have one to be able to enjoy the benefits and the fruits of the other. But they are diametrically opposed when it comes to the purpose of salvation of man's soul, the redemption of man. One cannot save, the other can. And so he asks them this question in verse 2, and he puts it to them pretty, pretty straightforward. He says, this only what I learned of you. In other words, hey, I have one question for you. That's what he's saying. Uh, this only what I learned of you. Received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did you get saved? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, uh, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? In verse 5, he's speaking of himself. He says, I'm, I'm ministering to you in the Spirit, and work, and work miracles among you. He says, am I doing it by the works of the law or am I doing it by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That is incredibly important. Verse number 6. There are some folks out there that will tell you that before Calvary, men were saved by keeping the law. And that is a works-based salvation. Numerous times Paul puts that to rest. That the salvation that, that Abraham enjoyed was not because of his works, but it was because of his faith. And even in verse 6, he says this, Even as Abraham, what? Believed God, and it was accounted to him. That means it was put on his account to him for righteousness. Where did the righteousness that saved Abraham come from? Did it come from his works? No, it came from his what? Believing God. Hebrews speaks very clearly of that. It talks about the fact that by faith, Abraham, uh, over and over again, we find that, that there are numerous accounts that, that uh, Paul writes about that the Old Testament saints were saved the same way that you and I are. And that is by putting their faith in the hope that the Lord Jesus Christ was coming. We look back and say, historically, he did come and we put our faith in that. They looked forward to it and said, we put our faith in that. Because they understood that the law could not save them. Now, the law was needful because of the transgression of man. We're going to see that. Paul talks about that. But the only thing the law can do is bring condemnation for the sin that you've done. To show you that you are a sinner and that you have need of a Savior. If, if, I, go, if I go to um, Walmart, that's a good place. Everybody seems to be stealing from Walmart anymore. If I walked into Walmart this morning... And I just grabbed an armload of stuff and walked out without paying. Somebody would say, Brother Greg, you were shoplifting. You broke the law. What, did the, what is the law going to do? It's going to what? It's going to punish me, isn't it? It's going to condemn me for my sin. Is it going to deliver me from the curse of that sin that I did? Is it going to cause me to not have to pay for the sin that I did? No, because it can't do that. All it can do is show me that I sinned and bring justice to my case. And it was necessary for God to give the law for man to understand that he stands guilty before a just God. We have to know that or we can't be saved. 
There has to be that understanding. There has to be an understanding that there's a debt that is owed that I cannot pay. So the law never could save anyone. It was the, the grace that God gives and it is applied to us by putting our faith in him. Now, notice what he says here in verse number 6. It says, even as Abraham believed God and it was, what was? His works? No, his belief in God. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So he gained righteousness by believing God. What kind of righteousness did he gain? Was it Abraham's righteousness? No, he, he had imputed righteousness. The righteousness of God was given to him, which is the only kind of righteousness that we can stand before God in heaven and appear justified and perfect. Verse number 7, Know ye therefore that they which are of what? Faith. The same are the children of Abraham. Why? Because Abraham was a man of faith. The scripture And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, there is the key phrase that the Old Testament saints were justified by foreseeing that God would justify the heathen by faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations of the earth be, of, of all the nations be blessed. So, verse 8 is a proof text that Abraham understood, maybe not in all the fullness of, but at least to the extent that there is going to come a Savior that I have to put my faith in that will save me. And that was preached to him. To what extent and at what time, I don't know that we have record of in Scripture, but according to Paul, it was. In verse number 9, So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. It doesn't mean that Abraham was... Uh, a man of character who just continued with steadfastly. That's not what the word faithful in this usage means. It means literally the fullness of his faith. Uh, so, again, it's not. sometimes when we think, well, you've got to be faithful, that just means put your nose to the grindstone and don't turn back. But even that is fed by the fact that your faith is what's driving it, the fullness of your faith. And so, again, understand this, that it says, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are, un, uh, as are of the works of the law are under the what? So, yeah, the, the law curses us, doesn't it? It says if you offend, in how many ways? In even one. That you fall under the curse of the law. You say, well, I think when I get to heaven, God's going to take all my, my sins on one side of a scale and all my good on the other side of the scale and as long as my good outweighs my bad, then God's going to allow me into heaven. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says if I have offended even in one point of the law, that I'm under the curse. Period. doesn't matter what my righteousnesses are. The curse is there. The only way I can be saved is if somebody comes along and is accursed for me and pays that penalty for me. And Paul talks about this. The Lord Jesus Christ did that. He bore our curse for us. He paid the price for us. And then He gives to us His righteousness. Now when the scale looks up in heaven, all God sees is righteousness of Christ and no sin. Not because I haven't sinned, but because He didn't. Now notice, notice what it says here. And the script, uh, verse number 10. For as many as are under the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So if you have missed one thing, 
You're under the bondage of the law. You're under that curse. You're under, you, are, you are legally, you are under the penalty of that, uh, of that sin. You say, well, Pastor, it was just a white lie. That white lie, if that was all you ever did in all of your life, is enough to send you to hell. That's all it takes. Notice as he gets to verse number 11, he says, But that no man is justified in the law, by the law, I'm sorry, in the sight of God, is evident. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. Why there's such a debate on this among religions, I don't understand, because the Bible's pretty clear, isn't it? You cannot be justified by the keeping of the law. If you kept every commandment there was from the time you were born on, which no man does, but if you were able to, you still would not be justified by it. It would still be the the schoolmaster that shows us our need of a Savior. Notice it says this, For the just shall live by what? So we we see the conflict that Paul's bringing up here. He said, look, you guys got the Holy Spirit by faith. Why in the world are you letting these... These legalistic people tell you now that you have to live by the law in order to keep that salvation, in order to be saved, in order to have your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do you have to base your salvation on the law? The law never was there to save you. And that was clearly seen. In fact, it was evident. They even knew this in the Old Testament. At least Abraham did. And he says in verse 12, "...and the law is not of faith..." But the man that doeth them shall live in them. If you're going to live by the law, you're going to be under that bondage of the law. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. The curse of the law is is what the law would have demanded of us. Death and hell to pay for our sin. Christ hath redeemed us from that. Being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Christ took the curse upon Himself. And He gives us redemption through faith, not through works. Notice He says in verse 14 that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through what? Faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds... As of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. In other words, he says, there were some promises made to Abraham's seed. He says in this kind of odd wording in verse 16, he's saying, he doesn't say it as unto many. He says, he says this as unto one, meaning Jesus Christ was the promised seed of Abraham that was spoken of in the the covenant that was made with Abraham. That when it spoke of the blessing coming from Abraham's seed, it wasn't saying that the world was going to be blessed. He wasn't, the intent wasn't that they were going to be blessed through all of the children of Israel, because Israel was Abraham's seed, wasn't he? That was the world blessed through Ishmael? No, he wasn't. So he wasn't speaking of many many offspring of Abraham. He's speaking of one. That's what verse 16 is talking about, which is Christ. This is the seed that when he says all the whole earth is going to be blessed through Abraham's seed, this is the seed he was talking about, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should be uh, should, that it should make the promise of none effect. So we have two things that are given here. 
we have the covenant which God established with the nation of Israel. We're going to see that here in chapter 4 when we get to the analogy of uh, the bond woman and the free woman and Ishmael and Isaac. Uh, we're going to see that very clearly in chapter 4. But we have the covenant that God made with Israel at Sinai under Moses. This is where he gave the law. And the covenant was basically this. If, here's my law. If you will be my people and keep my law, I will be a God unto you. And I will, I will be, you will be my chosen people and I will be your God. And this is the covenant that he made. But he put them under a bondage of the law. It says this is the requirement for this. For you me to be your God and you to be my children, this covenant is made. You are to keep my laws and you are to do them. You are under the bondage of that law. Meaning, if you break that law, whatever that penalty is, I, I, I will enforce it. You are under the justice of the law. But when Abraham comes along, because of Abraham's faith... God made a promise to Abraham that his seed was going to bless all the world. And so we have here a covenant and a promise. We have something made to the bondwoman and something made to the free woman, and you'll see that in chapter 4 here in just a few moments. That one is a child of covenant, the other is a child of promise. And so we're going to look at some things here as we get closer along. Keep that thought in mind because we're going to build on that in just a moment. Uh, For verse number 18... For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore, then, serveth the law, it was added because of the transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by his angels in the hand of the mediator. So the law was to serve until the Lord Jesus Christ came here, and it was added because of the transgressions of men. It was, it was to keep men in line. It was to keep them under bondage to obey obedience of the law. Uh, it couldn't save them. It was what God demanded in order for them to be his people, for him to be their God. Verse number 20. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. The law does not contradict the promise of God. It doesn't save, and it in and of itself is not the promise. But it is teaching us the heart and the mind of God's character. So the law is, we're not saying the law is a bad thing. We're saying it's not what saves us. All it can do is bring a curse to a man. All it can do is bring us under the condemnation of it. Uh, so the law is not against, Paul even says here, God forbid, for if there had been, uh, had, if there had been a law given which could have given life, Verily, righteousness should have been by the law. In other words, if the law could have saved us, it would have, but it didn't. But the Scripture hath concluded, all understand, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to what? Bring us unto Christ. Without the law, do you realize you and I would not know that we needed a Savior? Without the law, we would not know that we, we would need the, the promise that God has given to us. So I'm not saying that the law is not necessary. Nor is it something that when we look at, we cannot at least see the heart and the, and the, the holiness of a God that gave the law. We see His character. We see His mindset. We see His morality and His moral standard given in the law. And so there are many, many things to be gained from the law, even in a Christian's life. We're just not under its bondage anymore. 
We do not have to follow it in order to be saved. And this is going to tie in here, and we're going to get to something here at the first part of chapter 4 I'm pretty excited to get to, that is going to kind of be a preface to, Lord willing, what I'll be teaching on a week from Wednesday when we start dealing with the issue of repentance. The Bible does talk about repentance, and it does have a part in salvation. But we have so misunderstood it, I think we need to be very careful how we clearly define these things and understand them. Notice as we get to uh, verse number 24, uh, it says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a what? Schoolmaster. So when we get saved, I am not bound under the justice of that law anymore. If I sin now, is there still a penalty for that sin? Yes. Am I under it? No. Now, I may carry the consequences in my body on that, but as far as my eternal security in heaven, my sins were already washed at the blood of Calvary. If I sin now, I'm not under the curse of the law anymore. It condemned me before the promise came into my life and I was saved. I was on my way to hell, but when I trusted Christ as my Savior... If I sin now, I'm still saved. I'm not under the curse of it anymore. I am not under its bondage anymore. I've been delivered from that bondage of that law. So you understand where we're going with it so far, okay? That doesn't mean the law is not useful, not helpful to me uh, to know better how to live and how to please God. Certainly it is. But if I break it at this point, I don't die and go to hell because of it. I'm still saved because of the promise, which is far greater. Notice what it says here. Uh, Verse number 25. For after that faith has come, ye are no longer under a schoolmaster. So we're not under that law anymore. Paul says it right here. For ye are all the children of God by faith in in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ... There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye the Abraham then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the law, is that what it says? According to your works. Is that what it says? No, according to the what? What was the promise? Remember the promise? Let's let's look back over in verse number uh, sixteen. Now, unto Abraham and his seed, where the promise is made, he saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is what? Christ. So what was the promise given to Abraham? Christ. Christ was the promise. He was the seed that was promised to be the blessing to all nations. So if we're Christ, in verse 29, it says, And if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, not the law, the promise. Now I say that the heir, because if we put our faith in Christ, we now become an heir. As long as he's a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. This is where I think so many times, before we get saved, we're just trying to learn that we need a Savior. When, when I had kids and they were young, I would set rules in my house. If they ever asked me why, I would say, because I said so, and, and they were just under that bondage. At a certain point, as they grow up, I want them to know why. And so I begin to put a part of me inside them. 
so that they can now see the heart of me. They can now see and make decisions based on what Dad's mindset is on it, not what my will is. And so when we're talking about liberty here, here's what I fear so often takes place. We feel like the, the, the kid who's grown up in a very strict home, who's had, who's had to abide by all the rules, letter of the law, until the day Dad says, you're old enough to make your own decisions, and then we go, man, I no longer have to follow those rules. That is not what's taking place here. What's taking place here is, until we got saved, we were under the bondage of the law. We were under that curse. It taught us, it brought us to the place of knowing heart, the heart of God on the issue of sin, the issue of redemption. If we choose to put our faith in Him, He comes and resides inside of us. His Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And His will now becomes apparent to us. And liberty is not saying, I'm out from underneath the obligation of the law. It is saying, I am now free to follow the will of my Father. I can now long to do what pleases Him. And we're going to see this as we go through in, in chapter 5. But look with me in verse number 2 for a minute in chapter 4. He's talking here about the child, and he uses two different terms here. In, in verse 1 of chapter 4, he uses the term child. But in just a moment here, as we get down to verse number 5, he's going to use the term son. I think there is a clear distinction here. Now, you may disagree with me on this, but I think there's a, there's a reason why two different words are used in this case. Uh, and so I want us to look at this. But it is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the, notice this phrase, adoption of sons. We become a child of God in the sense of of following Him and His will now. We become part of His family. And because we are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. Not because I have to, but because I am the Son of my Father in heaven. I want now to follow His will. I want to please Him. I want to know His heart. I want to know His will. I want His Spirit to be in me and to follow Him. There's a difference between the bondage of it and the freedom or liberty of it. And when we get saved, we come out from under the obligation, and now we come into the heart of love and following with all of our hearts. That's why Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And notice he says, as we get to verse number 5, he says, "...to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Howbeit, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods." In other words, you followed things other than God. You followed your own will. You followed, followed things in the world that appealed to you. And before you knew Him, and you, you did service to them. In fact, Romans 6 said that we were servants to sin. Uh, whose servants you are, whom you obey. And so since we were obeying the flesh and the sin nature, we were His servants. We were servants to sin. 
Verse 9, But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? In other words, he says, look, the whole reason he's writing this letter is because these people started in faith, then they, they were deceived by false teachers saying, you've got to keep the law too. If, you're, if you don't keep the law, then you're not saved. And Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Who, hath, who caused you to depart from this? You started in faith. Why are we bringing dead works back into this? Works could not save you to begin with. You, you've been made a child of God. You've been made a son of God. You're now an heir of these things, and you are not under the bondage of a servant anymore. You're now his son. And he says this in verse number, uh, verse number 9, But now, after that, you, are, you are, have known God, or rather are known of God. How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Why would you want to go back to that? You observe days and months and times and years. I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Paul said, all this work I've put into this, and, and I'm, I'm scared for you. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. In other words, he says, look, you haven't hurt my feelings, but I'm concerned about this. And he tells them this in verse 13. Ye know how that through infirmities of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despise not, nor reject it, but receive me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, ye would have plucked your own eyes out and have given them to me. I am therefore become your en- am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously affect you, speaking of these, these folks that were putting a burden on them. But not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might... Affect them, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. He said, I I, I view you as my spiritual children. My heart hurts. I travail. He said, I feel like I've got to come again and and make sure that you are are fully, fully understood in this area of faith alone, not works. He says, I feel like I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. He says, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise, which things are an allegory, for these are the two what? Covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai. What happened on Mount Sinai? Moses goes up. God gives him the, the law. Okay? Covenant made. Mosaic law. Mosaic covenant. These are the two covenants that are made. The one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth the bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And answereth... To Jerusalem, which now is, the physical Jerusalem here on earth, and is in bondage with her children. So even to this moment, a lot of folks in Jerusalem, a lot of the traditional Orthodox Judaism of the day, uh, was under the bondage of the law still. They were holding to this. But look at verse 26. But Jerusalem, which is what? Above. We're not talking about the one here on earth. We're talking about the Jerusalem that is above. Where is this at? That's the one in heaven. 
You remember in Hebrews, and we'll take some time, we're not going to get to it today because we're already out of time, but we'll get to it next Sunday. We're going to be looking in Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10 next Sunday, and you're going to see that the Bible tells us that there is a uh, tabernacle, a temple, that is built in the heavens that's not made by hands. There's a mercy seat in heaven that was not made by hands. And when the Lord Jesus Christ died on Calvary, from the time he saw Mary in the garden and said, you cannot touch me, or don't touch me, and a few hours later when he meets with his disciples, and the Bible says that they handled him, somewhere between those two periods of time, the Lord Jesus ascended to heaven and took his own blood and sprinkled it on the mercy seat in heaven. Because as our high priest, he could not be touched with the infirmities of a sinful man or he would have been corrupted until that process was done. And once the blood had been sprinkled, then he could be handled again and could be touched again. And we're going to see all these things pictured in Hebrews. And the Bible says that the things here on earth that these folks were following were just a shadow of the real items, the real elements that are in heaven. And so understand that this is speaking here in verse 26 of the Jerusalem, which is above. Notice it says this, but the Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. So here in Jerusalem on the earth, what did they do to worship? They had human high priests. They brought animal sacrifices. They sprinkled blood regularly. When they come, when the Bible talks about in verse number 26, the Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry that thou travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as then he that was born after the flesh, speaking of Ishmael, persecuted him that was born after the spirit, speaking of Isaac, and Ishmael did and still does to this day. Their descendants still persecute Israel. Notice it says, Nevertheless, what is said of the Scripture, Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be the heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of free. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. What has He made us free from? What has He made us free from? What? The law. Okay. I want to get into this, and if you'll give me three minutes, I'm going to at least introduce it, because we're going to deal with this a little little further next Sunday. Chapter 5, verse 1 is a crucial, crucial verse. We have liberty that is in stark contrast to the bondage that is spoken of here in verse 1. What is the bondage that is spoken of? The bondage was that they were to keep the law. What is the keeping of the law? If we were to say, in order for you to be saved, you have to keep the law, we would say that you have to do works. The keeping of the law equates to doing works. Why? Because it tells us what to do and what not to do. When we think of works, we think of them based on how they line up with the law. If I go out here and rob a store, is that a good work or a bad work? How do I know that? Because of the law. So the keeping of the law, if you will, equates to works. If you don't keep the law, you're not, you're not doing works, okay? The keeping of the law does not save us. Therefore, works does not save us. I'm going somewhere with this in... Next Sunday and the following two or three Wednesdays are going to be so crucial, folks. Please, please, please do not miss this. 
I'm just going to give you a little little foretaste or taste test here. I do not have to keep the law in order to be saved. That's works. For someone to say that I have to forsake my sin before I can be saved, that is keeping of the law. Now, is repentance there in Scripture? Yes, it is. Is it a part of salvation? Yes, it is. But our understanding of what repentance is is greatly misunderstood if we cannot grasp this idea of separation of works and faith. It is vitally important that we have full understanding on this. And so that will give you a little bit of thing to think on for the next week or so. And we're going to pick up there next Sunday. And then don't miss, please don't miss the next several Wednesdays. I'll be gone this Wednesday, but when I get back, dealing with the subject of repentance, folks, something that I believe so strongly has got to be nailed down from a biblical perspective. Because so many people I fear, I fear, are in the same boat that some of these churches of Galatia were in. That yes, they believe it's salvation by faith. And if we say it the way we say it sometimes, we're saying, and works. We've got to be careful of this. Very, very crucial. All right. Uh, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty where Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Has no part of our salvation. Now, should it have a part in our holy living? Absolutely. Has no part in our redemption. None. Uh, Take some time to read through chapter 5. We'll pick up there next week. I wish I could have gotten through the rest of it today. But bear with us. It will all come together and you'll, you'll be able to see it a little clearer. Okay? Let's go ahead and stand together and we dismiss in prayer. Father, we do pray that you'll bless uh, the time that we spend around your word. Lord, there's so much to be learned. Sometimes going through it and understanding it fully from the entire 